Welcome to the Cinema Judge. To all my regular judge heads out there, welcome back. Now, if you're a first-time listener, welcome aboard. If you do like it, share it with your friends, five-star it, whatever makes you feel comfortable. If you like it, I would really appreciate it if you shared it. Now, for you first-time listeners, this is the show in a nutshell. I'm the judge, you're the jury, I collect the evidence and I present it to you. I'll never tell you not to see a movie, because any movie is somebody's favorite movie. So who am I to tell you not to see a movie? That's ridiculous. You're the jury. You make up your own mind. That's what we do. I'm going to give you the evidence today on the movie Moonfall. Now, Moonfall, it stars Halle Berry, Patrick Wilson, John Bradley, and Charlie Plummer. Now, here's a storyline for Moonfall. A mysterious force knocks the moon out of its orbit, setting it on a collision course to Earth. So in a nutshell... The moon is coming towards us. Now, who here hasn't ever thought of that concept? That's a great concept. We've all thought about it. Either that or the sun, us being plummeted into the sun or vice versa. So just the concept alone is just you turn off your brain and you check out the movie. Because that's what Ronald Emmerich does the best. He takes you on a ride. Here's a trailer for Moonfall. If you're watching this, then you know by now a huge problem is heading our way. An emergency meeting is being called at our usual place immediately. Free bagels. I've made a shocking discovery. I need you to get me in touch with NASA immediately. Well, NASA and I aren't really on speaking terms these days. Well, that'll change. When you tell them that the moon is out of orbit. There's no need to panic. Not crazy! Why are they lying about all this? It's too late to stop. You knew all this was happening before NASA. You're the unidentified source? Oh, yes. We're dealing with an intelligent entity. We're planning a mission to attack this thing. I'm asking you for your help. Say yes, Brian. I need you to be brave. If the moon really is what you think it is, suit up. I've got a big gravity wave coming your way. You have to launch now. Did he say gravity wave? I see trouble on the way. We're underwater, guys. Uh, that's crazy. I hear hurricanes are blowing. Well, we'll slow down. What's the plan? Save the moon, save Earth. What are you doing? It's flying itself! Wait for it. Let's go, you son of a... Yes! Hang on! Everybody, hang on! I'm gonna get you home! On airplane mode. See what I'm saying? Just the trailer alone, it sounds fun. All it is is mindless popcorn entertainment. And that's fun sometimes. Not everything has to be about something. Not that this can't be if you really look into it, but this is sheer popcorn magic. And you might be asking yourself, what else has he done? What else has he done that I've seen? Well, let me tell you. He's made other disaster films, and like I said, that's what he does so well. Remember the movie 2012? That was him. Another action flick, White House Down. And in 2019, he did Midway. In 2004, The Day After Tomorrow, another epic disaster film. Well, I I should say on that one, my correction, he did the screenplay for that, but you get what I'm saying, that's what he does. And he wrote Independence Day. Need I say more? I mean, come on, that was legendary. So when you see his kind of films, you know what you're getting into. 
Now, in this first interview, we hear from him, and he talks about what inspired him to make this movie. And it's really kind of cool. It got it from a book. So here he is. I was, like, triggered by a book I read. I read a book uh, called Who Built the Moon? And I kind of was so fascinated by it. And uh, it, like, kind of pretty much, like, kind of says, uh, moon is not, like, uh, a natural object. And I think that was a great idea for a movie. And then I kind of thought, well, what happens if this uh, object would fall down to Earth and we have to deal with it? And that's how the movie, in a way, the first inkling of a movie idea always starts. You know, you have to find a really fascinating idea which fascinates yourself. And then it took like pretty much three, four years to five years even to get the right script. Um, and it's a, it's a relatively simple idea. Uh, the moon's falling to Earth. So we have to figure out what it is and how to stop it. And it's then, you know, about the people who go up there and their families who stay behind and have to survive. We're going to hear next from Patrick Wilson, who plays Brian Harper. And he talks about what he liked about the script and that he doesn't often get a chance to play this kind of role. Because a lot of times he, you know, plays certain things that he's really good at, of course. But he gets to really kind of, you know, spread his wings on this one a little bit. And if you see it or at least hear a couple of these scenes later on, he is a totally different character than what he often plays. So it's like really kind of refreshing for me as a movie fan to see him play somebody like this. And like I said earlier, you know, this is a popcorn film, but like he even says, you could use this film as a little bit more, if you want to delve deeper into things, you can. And that's what he did too. He looked at this as a bigger picture also. Well, you know what? Just let him explain it to you. Here is Patrick Wilson. My initial impressions were I thought it was a great concept, first of all. Is it an interesting story, right? That's just sort of the baseline of anything uh, that interests me. Is is the story good? So, I one, I, I love sci-fi and don't get a chance to do it a lot. So, that was a big bonus for me. I had such a great time working with Roland on Midway um, that it was an, an, an easy yes to to... to say yes. Um, also, I felt like this, this role was, was different for me, uh, in, in roles that I've done lately. Um, but my first, uh, impressions of the script were that I love that it took this huge, uh, I, I love that it took this, this huge disaster film, uh, idea, but really base it around one of the most interesting, and controversial questions of evolution versus creation. And so for me, um, that was really fascinating to me. I like, I like when you can use a movie, even a big splashy popcorn movie to at least just drop something into the conversation. <laughs> I, I, I think that's really fascinating. Now coming up next, we're going to hear from the legendary Halle Berry, you know, and I could go on and on about her career because we all know how talent she, talented she is. So I won't even get into it. But here she is talking about what attracted her to this project. I think one of the reasons I really wanted to do Moonfall was because it related to the odd times in which we find ourselves living in with this COVID pandemic. And I think uh, normally big disaster movies like this are movies that people seem to gravitate towards. I think they can see themselves in them. We all have this fascination about the end of the world and what would that look like and how would we live through that? Would we live through that? And... Um, because the pandemic is so much, I think, a part of our everyday life right now, a movie like this sort of resonated with me in a, in a different way. I thought it would be more relatable now than ever before um, within, you know, the constructs of our life right now. And I totally understand what she's saying here, because we all, sometimes when we see these kind of movies, we think, what would I do? Could I handle it? Could I survive? And it reminded me of a story this guy I used to work with a couple years back or several years ago. You know, he was telling me the story that, oh, he'd be great. He'd survive. He'd do this, that, the other. He'd go up north. You know, I just sat there and looked at him like, right, can you see yourself there, my friend? This guy had this delusion that he would be this multi-survivalist. And I'm like, dude, seriously, come on. Somehow you would be the one who survives and get up to your cabin, whatever, and no one else would stop you on the way or whatever. I'm like, how would you get your medication? How would you do this? Whatever. You just see what I'm saying. So this guy had this romantic notion that, 
Well, I could, I could be great. I would survive perfectly. Okay there, buddy. But I think we all, when we watch these movies, that's what we do. We think, what would I do? And could I handle it? Now, in this next scene, it's the actual opening scene of the film. So it's me kind of a long scene and not a lot of dialogue. So I'm going to try to set this up for you a little bit. The opening shot starts off, they're in space, and the camera slowly moves to the, you know, pans to the right. And you see the, like, the shape of the earth in the background. And then you hear Patrick Wilson singing in the background the legendary song by Toto Africa. And you'll know it if you hear it. I mean, it's, we all know it. And here, you know, so they're having this banter. Him and his other guy are outside fixing this thing in space, some arm or whatever it is. And he's singing, and they're having this fun banter back and forth, him and Halle Berry. And then something starts happening, you know, something kind of a, a, approaches the the ship. It's like a mist or whatever, and then it propels a guy that he's working with out there further out in space. He gets thrusted back to the ship, like he lands, like where the doors open, and he pulls himself in. That just kind of sets up the movie of there's something out there, it affected the ship, and that's what the scene is. Give it a shot. the rains down in Africa. The lyrics are, I bless rains down in Africa. What? No, they're not. Uh, yes, they are. It makes even less sense. Well, I should know, because I karaoke did at my wedding. Ah, well, I must have missed that. I was in the zone, tearing it up on the dance floor. You can't dance to save your life. Anyone ever tell you guys you bicker like a like an old married couple? It's because she's my work wife. Back to work, Ricky. Can never do. <laughs> I missed the break down Africa. I would like to thank you for spending your honeymoon in space with us. It was either space or Italy. But Italy doesn't beat this one.
gonna get you home. there's a lot of stuff going on there and not a lot of dialogue but i figured hey i'll play it for you because it is kind of a fun moment in the movie and kind of sets it all up now coming up next we're gonna hear from Halle berry now like in that scene you heard patrick wilson talking to her and the guy that he's working with out there he's like come on guys what are you doing and he's like hey she's my work wife and we all of us if you're out there in the work world we've had those kind of relationships where you could be totally loosey-goosey and have fun with a co-worker and that's all it is it's just a blast so in this next interview, she talks about where they are at the beginning of the film, how tight they are, how much their friendship is, and then how that event really changed their relationship and they became estranged. So she just talks about that part of the film and those two characters, where they are and where they go. Yeah, I think we find them in the beginning and they're the best of friends. Like Brian was at her wedding. She clearly knew he knew her husband and they were like workmates like I was his you know work wife and he was my work husband and very very close and then this event happens in the movie where we get estranged there's sort of a misunderstanding something very confusing and scientifically um, unexplainable happens and my character doesn't exactly stand up for him the way she probably could have and he sort of takes the fall and sort of that starts the beginning of the unraveling of their relationship. And we get to visit them again in the movie and they have a chance to sort of sort of wrong that right to come to terms with what happened and realize that neither one of them were right or wrong. It was just a very um, unfortunate situation that was hard to explain. And they sort of went their separate ways as a result of it. Now we're going to hear next from Patrick Wilson, and he talks a little bit more about the story, a little bit more of the nuts and bolts of the whole situation, how he suffers from guilt from the last mission, and now he has been asked to go back up several years later to find out what's going on. The nuts and bolts of the movie are the moon is coming towards us. We don't know why, and you it's left up to the astronauts who have an experience me being one of them, that many 15 years ago uh, was up there and saw something crazy extraterrestrial um, and caused a friend, uh, a fellow astronaut of mine, to, uh, we lost him. So I carry that guilt being the captain of the ship. And over the course of the film, as the moon is coming towards us, we don't quite know what the moon is. Is it a planet? Is it something built? If it is, who built it? And what is this impending doom threatening the world, our world? So astronauts, uh, even though I'm out of it, astronauts have to go back in and figure out what is the problem. And all is not as it seems once we get up there. That's the cleanest version I can tell of a script that's very long. (laughs) Now, up next, if you're a Game of Thrones fan, you're going to know who this guy is. He's John Bradley. But you may know him from Game of Thrones when he played Samwell. And he just nailed that character. He was perfect. Now, in this interview, he talks about why he chose to take this role and all the elements that really intrigued him. I started reading Casey, and I was already interested because I, I, I've, I, I initially liked his, his tenacity, his energy, his commitment to his intellectual pursuit. But then the more I read it, the answer became very clear that I can do everything with this. I, I, there are moments in this story where, as Casey, I can play absolutely everything. There are moments of, of sadness. There are moments of humor. There are, there are moments of pure joy and elation. There's a real anger and a fury to him sometimes. And, and 
there's a tenderness to him too in the friendship story between him and Brian and and Fowler. And I, and I just thought there was there was a moment in this story where all of those things and so many more things are going to get touched upon, and it, it just feel it just felt like a great a great showcase for any actor and also. Uh, to to play such an important role in a story that had so much scope to it and so much ambition to it, to be a, a pivotal to play a pivotal role in the telling of that story, and get to do everything I did whilst acting that part, it was just irresistible from the minute I started reading it. Now that's just an awesome interview. The reason I say that is, as an actor, he was able to find all these elements that he could really sink his teeth into. Because a lot of us, we watch this kind of movie, you might think, okay. You know, you get the script, you do it, you go home, nothing to it, like a throwaway kind of deal. No, these guys, if you're really into your art and your craft, they find all these elements going, hey, I could do so much with this character. And hearing him talk about that is just really cool to me because he didn't just go into it half-heartedly going, hey, this is a paycheck, I got this. No, he, you know, he was really into it. And I just love hearing that. Now, coming up next, we're going to hear from the director. And he's going to talk about the chemistry between... Patrick Wilson, Halle Berry, and also John Bradley. Patrick and, and Halle had a very, very cool chemistry with each other. Um, they're both ex- excellent actors, you know. But it's always like you never know, will they have chemistry? And then uh, then John Bradley is this sweet guy. You know, I'm, I saw him in, uh, in uh, Game of Thrones and I fell in love with him. Because even in, in, in that like kind of brutal world he was this like gentle soul you know uh who survives this whole ordeal and uh and that was for me the most important that you know uh have somebody who's crazy but also extremely lovable and that's what he is and so this was a really really cool combination you know of these three actors now patrick wilson is up next and he's gonna talk about yes these kind of movies are just eye candy and just action all over the place but they need characters that we care about. Because if you're just watching a movie and you don't care about the characters, why are you watching it? So he kind of delves into that whole, yes, the director is just this great mind who knows how they make these kind of movies, but he knows how to insert characters we care about. So here's Patrick Wilson talking about that. It's hard to sort of fit this into the Roland canon uh other than yes, it's a it's this big epic movie that he's he knows this space. He's not afraid of the scope of a movie. No 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 set or piece is too big. Like he just he he rolls with it. That's actually when he gets really 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 into it because he really he's got such a vision in his in his head that we're all trying to just hold on and, and figure out where he's going with it. Um, but I I think above all the one thing that if I can relate this to the other Roland movies that speak to me me are yes you can have these this big spectacle but you really have the the human emotion that drives the story because you have to have people that you care about and that's something that I th- that you see a through line with his movies especially the ones that become these big big successful films um that because they can cross over just from being a big popcorn movie to going you know I really loved that performance I loved that character I felt so much for that character so he really likes to bring out that emotion so from that perspective you really do see these these different storylines that each have such a, a tremendous amount of heart now Halle Berry is up next she's also going to talk about the director in the brief conversation they had about this movie beforehand, and also how this character originally was supposed to be a man, but then they you know made it into her. And again, that's so cool because why can't it be? I had one conversation with Roland in the in the early days. Um, uh, it, it was very quick. You know, we talked about the movie. You know, you read a movie like this and you really understand what it's about. You know, it's pretty easy to understand. So. We sort of had a meeting of the minds, and originally this role was written for a man, though I do know that, and so credit to Roland for taking a character that was male and then realizing that this could be a female character and still have the same impact. I describe Fowler as um, wicked smart. You know, I think she's a woman who survived in a man's world. You don't become an astronaut. And when we find her, she is, you know, the deputy director of the NASA. You don't find a woman in that position who isn't extremely intelligent, strong, has a real 
um, sense of self and about her. She's got, she's very willful, you know, she's had to survive in this world and hold her own. And so that's how I describe her. She's strong. I love characters. I love women and characters like this. Now we have a clip for you coming up next. Now in this scene, we have Halle Berry, Patrick Wilson, and John Bradley. They're having this conversation before they go back up in space. <laughs> and John Bradley is talking about his anxiety that he feels before he's going up. He's like, really? I, I, you know what? I don't need to go. Anyway, this, this is a fun little character development and just a camaraderie that these guys will have to use when they get up there. Here it is. You know, without electronics, we're going to need to make split-second calculations up there. Plus, we lost our flight engineer. Mm. No. No, no, no. Guys, I'm not cleared for this. Well, I'm the acting director of NASA, so I just cleared you. Congrats. Yeah, but I've got IBS, irritable bowel syndrome. I get motion sickness too. You said you always wanted to be an astronaut. I have debilitating anxiety. Can you see? If the moon really is what you think it is, we're gonna need a megastructurist. Suit up. Now, John Bradley is up next, who plays KC. He talks about his character. And again, this is so great how he has so much background on his character that he could really form the character that he wants to do. So here is John Bradley. When we first meet Casey, he's a man who in so many ways is completely isolated. He feels like, he, he feels like an island. He feels like a person who's completely alone in the world. And in so many different ways, for a start, he's, he's physically isolated from his childhood because he grew up in England and now he's, he's moved back with his mother to, uh, to uh, America after the death of his father. So he's transplanted in one way. He also feels a disconnect from his family because his father has died, he's got no brothers and sisters, and his mum has dementia, so she doesn't recognise him anymore, so there's no point of contact there. He doesn't have he doesn't have any friends in particular. He doesn't have a he doesn't have a relationship. So he's emotionally isolated. He's also intellectually isolated because he's he works with people who don't have any time for the things that he believes in. He's always trying to communicate the things that he believes and his his passions and his interests and his theories to people, and none of them are interested. So yeah, at the start we find him completely alone in the world and, and, and searching for a point of contact, searching for a kindred spirit and searching for a, a, an ear that wants to listen to what he has to say. Now, in the same vein as character development and background, we're going to hear next from Patrick Wilson, and he gets a little bit more into his character and his background and where he's coming from. That's the crux of this, of, of Brian, is no one... No one believes him, no one trusts him, because it does seem so outlandish. And it doesn't help that he always shoots his mouth off and, and <laughs> shoots himself in the foot. So that's, that's not helping the cause. And I think he carries a lot of resentment uh, towards, uh, towards Fowler, towards Halley's character, because, um, and I can't knock it, you know, she, she, she wanted to continue on with her career and, and they uh, and moved up in the world. And... Um, and he, I th felt really betrayed by that. Now we have a clip. Now in this clip, all three of them, they're taken off. And then, of course, something is going afoul. So they're having this discussion back and forth. Can we do this? What's going on? You know what? Let the scene speak for itself. Here's a scene from Moonfall. We better do something fast or we're going to crash down. Anima should never have come. Let's lose the other booster and see if the moon can pull us the rest of the way. Casey, can we do it? Uh, um, uh, come on, buddy. Current momentum and gravity. Can we do it? Oh, I don't know. Go for SRV separation. Completed. Oh, God, if this doesn't work, we're dead. Well, yeah, this better work. Main tank's down to zero. Joe, get rid of it. Separate the main tank. We're going too slow. 
Now, coming up next, we're going to hear from Halle Berry, and she's going to talk a little bit more about the story. And there might be a smidgen of a spoiler in here. Not a lot, because I think most of us know what's going on. There's situations happening. So, she, you know, she talks about that. Well, what's happening is the moon is threatening to crash into Earth. And when it does that, before it gets there, it'll break into a billion, trillion little pieces that will all come crashing onto the Earth and will pretty much kill everyone. So, you know, they've got a big problem that they're trying to figure out a way to solve. And what we come to find out is that there's some sort of alien force at work. And it goes against everything that science believes. So you have the battle of science and metaphysics and what is possible in both of those realms. But it's clear that something is happening that has caused the moon to move out of its orbit and start descending onto Earth, and there's a ticking clock on it. So if they don't get up to the moon and figure out what this thing is and sort of destroy it, then little by little, the Earth, the moon is moving closer and closer to the Earth and potentially causing destruction. All right, we have another clip for you. Now, in this clip, there's very little dialogue once again, so I'm going to try to set this up the best that I can. They're in the spaceship, and all of a sudden this mist or whatever it is is approaching their ship, in you know, in surrounding them, it's like, oh man, this is not good. But what they came to realize is this: they went up in an old aircraft where it has like very little like electronics or whatever it is that th- these things might detect. And then they realize, well, John Bradley's character, well, he has his phone on. Patrick Wilson's character grabs the phone and says, "Hey, turn this thing off." And you know, he, <laughs> he's trying to turn it off, but he can't, so he just smashes the phone, and, and then the the stuff kind of disappears that was attacking him. And the other guy goes, well, you could have just turned it off. So that's the scene. Your phone. Casey, your phone. Turn it off. just turned it off. Okay. Now coming up next, we're going to hear from Halle Berry, and she's going to talk a little bit more about the story. And just like I told you a little bit ago, in this one, there'll be a little bit more spoiler, but it doesn't, you know, ruin anything because you probably already know kind of what's going on with this film. If not, just for a few seconds here, turn it down. And then when you see that it's, you know, moved on, turn it back up. Because I truly do not want to ruin this for anybody because, like I said, any movie is somebody's favorite movie. So I'm not trying to be a jerk in ruining it for you. But here's her just talking a little bit more in depth about the story. Our movie, you know, there's a a very interesting school of thought that maybe the moon is a megastructure. Maybe the moon has been built by an alien life form and that inside of the moon is actually hollow and there's this life living inside of the moon. So we sort of explore that thought in this movie and what if that were true and that's sort of the metaphysics you know element to this movie that sort of is juxtaposed to the science to the science that we think we know and that we believe in so that's what makes it a little different but i think the moon is really really powerful whatever it is or anyone thinks it is it's true that the moon has such a gravitational pull on the tides it has so much pull on us as humans because we're mostly water so if it can change you know the tide the biggest body of water on the earth i think we have to believe that it can also affect us as humans because we are largely water so i think the moon is very very powerful and I'm always in tune with when there's a full moon, when there's a blood moon, when all the moons become really important in in my life and I meditate a lot and the moon is really, really important. 
Now, just like Halle Berry, Patrick Wilson also talks about the power of all these things around us, but essentially the power of movies, what they can make you feel, think, and just contemplate. Because like he says, even with a splashy movie like this, you can still have something in there that go, hey, I could kind of delve into this a little bit. Whether you choose to or not, it doesn't matter. But if you want to, it can you know, make you think bigger picture. Here's Patrick Wilson talking deeper thoughts. There is a wonderful thing that films can do, no matter if they're a tiny independent movie or a huge spectacle, um, which is at least which is engage in conversation, which is make, can make you think. Maybe it, can, maybe it can change the way that you look at a certain subject. Maybe it can open your mind. Even, even if it's not some heart-wrenching drama, even if it's a big, fun, splashy spectacle. And I think this movie can do that and does that in a couple different ways. I think it does bring up the fact that, and it's no secret with the creation of, of AI and the worries of machines rising against you. I mean, Terminator dealt with it. <laughs> and, uh, but there is an increasing f- fear that is very real. You know, I think art imitates life. And I think that in, this, in, this, in the science community, I think that is a legitimate fear of if we create something so much that, that takes over, that has such power with our increasingly technological society, what does that mean? Um, so this movie raises that. See, even a big splashy movie can have more to say if you choose to search for it. Not that it's right or wrong, neither here nor there, but if you want to dig, even this kind of movie has it. Now, speaking of that, the director is up next, also talking about the ramifications of us getting out of control with technology. I always like to think a movie has to kind of tap into problems of our time. And uh, I think this uh, movie hits a big warning against uh, we shouldn't be, we should be very careful with artificial intelligence, uh, and we should uh, you know keep our um, our planet intact. That's uh, but that's also like deeply rooted in all my films. I'm always you know um, try to put a message in that we should um, be careful that we don't pollute our planets too much because we have not yet the technology to leave it. We're going to hear next from Halle Berry talking a little bit more about the characters. I think we do make a ragtag group. That's a really good way to put it. (laughs) We are all kind of anti-heroes. I don't think any one of us want to be there, but yet we have to be there, you know? Um, And I think it's great that Brian is sort of this disgruntled doesn't want to be there, but knows he has to be there. He's struggling to get his life together. He was, you know, he dipped off and became a person who struggled with alcohol and sort of keeping his life together. Uh, my character um, is there because she's an expert navigationist, so she has to be the one to guide the mission and make sure we get where we're going. Brian gets to fly the shuttle. And Casey represents, I think, um, the everyday average guy on the flight of his life. You know, he's not an astronaut, has nothing to do with NASA, but yet he's this brilliantly, um, uh, he has this brilliant mind that has come up with the idea that the moon is a megastructure. So we realize we need him because if in fact it is a megastructure, then we're going to want a megastructure up there when we get there. So we take him along, but he is, he represents an everyday guy. If you got to go on a space shuttle, you'd be seeing it through the eyes of that, of that guy. So it's a fun group. He, you know, Casey, John brings the levity. He brings a lot of humor, you know, to the movie. And I think movies like this need that. Um, I hope my character brings some heart to it. I think being the woman up there while she has to survive in a man's world, I think a woman's sensibility is often very different than a man's. And I hope my character brings a little bit of that. And, you know, um, Brian... Uh, Patrick just brings, you know, the brawn of a man. He's there to try to save this day any way he can. And um, so I think it makes us like a good, a good trio. We all bring something a little different. Now, in this next interview, when I first came across it, I'm like, yes, this is solid. This is so cool. Hearing the director talk about where he came from in Germany, there wasn't really a big superhero following. So he had to create his own little genre by making disaster films 
people become superheroes. They don't always have to be these people from other planets, other worlds, or special whatever powers. Sometimes it's just people like you and me have to step up like we see every day around the world and make a difference. I grew up in Germany. In Germany, we don't uh, have like really superheroes. And I don't understand superhero uh, films. I honestly admit it. And so I had to find in a way uh, my own genre, you know. And I realized, you know, that, um, and that was like actually probably came through Independence Day. Uh, I like had a lot of disaster elements in the film. When you like study disaster movies, you realize uh, normal people have to become superheroes. Because if they not become, uh, develop some superpowers, they will not, uh, they not will survive the disaster. Well, I hope you enjoyed our in-depth look at Moonfall. Now, if you guys have any questions, comments, concerns, any way to improve the show, please feel free to contact me, cinemajudge at hotmail.com or visit Instagram, the cinemajudge, and DM me, whatever you want to do. Because I can't grow if I don't know. But if you're interested in watching the TV version of this and a lot of other shows I've done, go to Bloomington, Minnesota's webpage. That's BLM as in Bloomington dot MN backwards slash BTV dash shows. And then when you're up there, just type in Cinema Judge and a whole bunch of shows will show up. Because with the TV show, I often have B-roll. And I can't have B-roll on the podcast because it's kind of impossible to you know play along. So if you want to see more on some of these shows and see the interviews and see the scenes, go find it there. I have a whole lot of shows there if you, if you choose to. But now, <laughs> I love this part of the show. It's thank you time, shout out time, and music time. But now, for all your listeners who listened last week, this is for you. And I hope my voice finds you well. All you people who tell me you listen when you're driving to work, coming back from work, on break, sitting at home doing the dishes, whatever you're doing, doing the laundry. And one listener told me when they were, you know, sewing their buttons, they were listening to this show. Whatever you do, whenever you're listening to, I appreciate it because I really love thinking about that going, even though I'm doing this now late at night, you might listening to this maybe, you know, the next day, maybe you're going to work or whatever you're doing, or maybe you're listening three months later, six months later, whatever it is, I am so grateful. So like I always say, Wherever, whenever, or whatever you're doing, this is for you. To all my listeners from the United States, France. I had a lot from France last week. Thank you, France. That is so cool. If you're sharing it with other people, I am very grateful. If you are, share it some more. I love seeing more and more people listening from all around the world. Same thing with Germany. Multiple listeners there, too. So thanks so much, Germany. If you're sharing, thanks for sharing. In Uzbekistan. I, I, I butchered that, I know. But several listens from there. All of you guys who keep sharing and listening, that's so cool. In Vietnam, Netherlands, Austria, Philippines, Japan, Italy, every one of you for listening, sharing. I am so grateful. It is so cool knowing people all over the world are listening to this because I hope you love movies as much as I do. And I love sharing it. Minneapolis, Minnesota. Cedar Rapids, Iowa. I had a whole bunch from Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Thank you so much for listening and sharing. That means so much to me. I hope to see you listening more in the future. That is really great. St. Paul, Minnesota. Madison, Wisconsin. Baltimore, Maryland. Annandale, Virginia. Pasadena, California. Duluth, Minnesota. Orlando, Florida. Harrisonburg, Virginia. Des Moines, Iowa. Again, Iowa. Thank you so much for listening. Ho Chi Minh. That is... Incredible. Thank you, Vietnam. Hudson, Wisconsin. Holyoke, Mass. Chaska, Minnesota. Bloomfield, Connecticut. Bergenfield, New Jersey. Thanks so much, New Jersey. Wausau, Wisconsin. Berlin. How cool is that? And now, for the places I don't have a shot in pronouncing properly, this is for you. Tashkent, Tashkent. Etlingen, Baden-Württemberg. The Hague, South Holland. Hagenbrunn, Lower Austria. Quezon City, Metro Manila. Caluire et Queer, Rhone. Perpignan, Pyrenees Orientales. So thanks to all of you who listened to the last episode, and I didn't get to everybody, but 
that's the bulk of the people who listened to last episode. But I also want to thank people who listen to old episodes because that's often harder to track. I can't, you know, keep track of all that, but I know a lot of you did. And I really appreciate every one of you who go in the back catalog and listen to old episodes. That is really cool. So I really want to thank you too for doing that. In this week's Bourbon Toast Goes All Too, my cousin Dan. Because let me tell you guys, when I was a kid, I used to go over to my my cousin's house and we'd barge into his room. He'd be sleeping because he'd be out late partying with his friends. We were a lot younger, my, my brother and I. We'd barge into his room, wake his self up, and he would be so irritated with us, but he was still, you know, always nice to us. And he had the coolest room. I worshipped this guy growing up because he was just the epitome of cool. You walk into his room, he had this Bruce Springsteen poster and these other posters. He had this stuffed Amarillo. <laughs> that thing was just so cool. He had this, this stuffed Amarillo just sitting there in his room with this giant maze of a gerbil, like maze that his gerbils ran around in. But the one of the coolest thing that he had in his room was this giant Budweiser. I can't really say it's a poster. It's more of a cardboard thing. Like was, it's like not quite corduroy, but it it's something. I don't know. You you fold it up or you roll it up. It's like maybe seven eight feet long or and several feet high. And right now, as I sit here recording this, it's on my wall now. He gave it to me years ago, and I've never let it go. It's sitting here on my wall. I mean, it's behind like this cabinet and everything else. You can't really see much of it anymore, but it's there. And it was on his wall. So it's always just my little reminder of my cousin, Dan. Anyway, he introduced me to so much great music, and I am very grateful for that. Like I said, from The Boss, Bruce Springsteen, Soulside Johnny and the Jukes, Elvis Costello, Queen, and I could go on and on. But I really appreciate him always, you know, educating me on music when I was growing up, saying, hey, give this stuff a listen to. So, Dan, this is for you. Cheers. But now, it's the music section. Now, all this week, just on general principle, it was almost pretty much nothing but Neil Young. In my car on XM Radio, they had a whole station dedicated to him. But I also, when I was at my jobs here and there, I played music. So I listened to Harvest Moon, Harvest, After the Gold Rush, Decade. And if you don't know where to start with Neil Young, if you've never listened to him, start off with Decade. That's a great way to you know introduce you to what he does. And then I also listened to this album that came out in 2020, I think it was, but it was made back in the 70s between these two albums. He never released it because it was way too personal. And when you listen to it, it really is. I, you could, you could, I could understand why he didn't release it, but it's called Homegrown. <laughs> and there's this one song, it's really great. It's spoken word. And what makes it so unique is there's a sound in the background, but he has this, and I, I read up on it, the sound that it makes is because there's a, a, a crystal glass filled with water, whatever it is, and then a person's rubbing their finger around the rim. We all know that sound it makes, right? And if you don't, you know, give it a shot. You'll know what it is or listen to the song. The song's called Florida. It, it is a weird, weird song, but it's so fun. It just, he's walking through the streets of Florida. People are flying these like paragliders, whatever it is, through the city. And then a whole lot of stuff happens. Anyway, so <laughs> Homegrown, really unique album, but I loved it. And then I listened to Landing on Water. And that album, for whatever reason, it's not one of his most famous ones or most popular ones, but it spoke to me when it came out. It's very, I, I don't even know the right word. It's the um, the drums or the uh, uh, whatever it is. There's so many songs on that album, Landing on Water. When it came out, it just, bam, it just spoke to me. And, you know, hey, give it a shot if you want to. It's not your typical Neil Young sound per se, but something about that album I really enjoy. And just one more thing about Neil Young. A couple years back, he, he went on a tour. And it was just in the Midwest. It was like, I don't know if it was like cities with just M's or whatever it was, but he had several here in Minnesota. What really st stuck out to me was the guy in front of me. I'm like, I know who this guy is, but I was so freaked out. I didn't want to say anything. I didn't want to be that 
person who makes somebody go like, dude, can I go out and be comfortable without somebody harassing me? You might not be aware of this show, but I, it's, it's my Achilles heel. I love this one show called The Curse of Oak Island. Every Tuesday night, I'm in front of the TV after I get off work. I record it. I watch it. I delve into it. But it's both these two brothers who are trying to dig up this, you know, treasure. And I swear the guy in front of me was Rick Lagina. And that's, you know, there's two brothers that are behind this. And I sat there. I couldn't get out of my head. Like, I didn't have the courage to say, are you him from the Curse of Oak Island? It could have been, but maybe not. But I'm like, oh, so I always regret that. But I always remember that moment at that Neil, you know, the Neil Young concert. I'm like, oh, great show. I could have this moment, but I choked. Well, that is it. My glass is full and I'm thirsty. So cheers to you into the movies. So until next time, be well, be good, and I'm gone. I'm Jeff. Thanks for listening to The Cinema Judge. <laughs>